0: Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one. This this evening, I want to teach uh, briefly from the thought of how to begin again. How to begin again, and, and we'll show you how to do it the biblical way, in the right way, without without trying to imitate the politicians who like to have photo shoots where they stand there holding reset buttons. And then they push the button and there's no change at all in relationships or in how people live. But in Genesis chapter 1, notice verse number 1, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now every... Every every people group has a calendar. And all calendars are not the same. But all calendars do identify specific times and seasons and holidays and things of that, that nature. So when we think of the way the calendars operate, it's usually on the basis of some kind of a lunar cycle or a solar cycle. So the calendar that the Jewish people, go by. The way they reckon time is different than how other people reckon time. In fact, the year in which they believe uh, they're living is different than other years. The ancient Jews, excuse me, the ancient Romans had a calendar that was different. Then eventually it was changed. The Muslims reckon time on their calendar differently. The first of the year for them begins with What they believe was the time when Muhammad moved to uh, Medina. But then if you look at our calendar, our year starts January 1st, in contrast with a Jewish calendar. But whenever people come to the end of a particular year and a new year is starting, it's at that point that people think about New Year's resolutions, new things they'd like to do in the coming year. Some people say, well, in the coming year, it's my a desire to read through the entirety of the Bible. And you know how many people have made that resolution. Other people have said, well, this year I'm going to be a better dad than I've ever been before, better spouse than I've ever been before. There are some people that resolve, in this year I'm going to quit smoking. There are some people that say I'm going to go on a diet. I'm going to make friends. I'm going to get a new job, whatever it might be people usually have some kind of resolution on their heart, whether it's to get out of debt, to obtain better health. But you know as well as I do that even though people have all kinds of New Year's resolutions, these are not always achieved. Because I've met many people who have said, I'm going to read through the Bible in the entirety of the year, and they follow a scheme that puts them into reading a chapter a day. And so they'll start off January 1st, January 2nd, they're right there reading through Genesis 1, Genesis 2, but by January 22nd or 23rd, uh, they've pretty much fallen by the wayside. And the reason for that is because very often they start off with those parts of the Bible that may not necessarily be as exciting. There's other parts of the Bible. I can promise you now, if you start off with Matthew chapter 1, Jesus, this is the birth of Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham begat so-and-so, who begat so-and-so, who begat so-and-so, who begat so-and-so. You, you're going to have, have difficulties. And then some people, you, you see, when they've resolved to, to, to stop smoking or stop eating so much, you realize how much willpower they have. Because I, I've seen people quit smoking 42 times in two weeks. But when you think about the objectives that you have for your own life and what it is that you want to do, there are some things we can learn from Genesis that I think are very important. Of course, the book of Genesis itself means beginning, the name means beginning. Sometimes you'll see where it's called the first book of Moses, the first book that was commonly commonly called Genesis written by Moses. Well, it is the book of origins, and it tells us about the beginning of the creation the heavens and the earth. It tells us about the first man, the first family, the first marriage. It tells us about the first death, the first sin. It speaks to us clearly about the first flood, how God started all over again with Noah. It speaks about God taking one man named Abraham, that man becoming a family supernaturally by the power of God, the Lord creating a tribe that becomes a nation divinely chosen by God to bring forth a redeemer in the fullness of time. So the book of Genesis is foundational to your life and mine, and you would think all of us would be interested in our roots. Someone asked you where you came from, you should know something about your family. And that's what Genesis is. It's a book that gives us our roots. Now, if you if you struggle with the idea that a man named Moses could go to the top of a mountain And God could take his finger and inscribe the commandments on stone. And then Moses could come down with those tables of stone and those be the actual words of God. If you struggle with that, have a difficulty believing that, then it's probably true that you're going to struggle with believing that the same God inspired Moses to write the first five books. You're going to have a hard time believing that God could talk to Moses about events that occurred prior to his birth. And then he wrote them down so that all the posterity would be able to have them. And if you doubt that, then you're also going to have a hard time believing that Moses and other people could also sit down and under the inspiration of God, write about events that would occur subsequent to their death. But when you think about scripture, that God, by the power of the Holy Ghost, was able to inspire individuals to write these things or move upon individuals to write these inspired words, then you realize that God, who knows the present and the past and the future, can communicate it whenever he wants. So when you read the book of Genesis, you are reading about actual events. This isn't speculation. Genesis 1 does not begin arguing for the existence of God. The author takes for granted God exists. There is a God. That's where he starts from. And that's where our arguments should begin whenever we're witnessing with people. We don't grant to anybody that there is no God. We don't start for all practical purposes with the idea that there might be a God. Moses said there is a God. That God made the heavens and the earth. Okay, well, if if that is true, there are certain principles we can learn about beginning again and about starting over. Because in your life, you are always going to have periods and moments where you have to start over. Little kids, they'll set up dominoes, and then they'll put them along a table, or they'll take cards and stack them up. And then eventually, maybe by an accident, somebody bumps the table, then all the dominoes go down. So what does the little kid do? He starts again. You you think about... When a when a baby is born, that's a new beginning. And mom and dad have to look into the face of that child, and now they've got to figure out what exactly we're going to do with this kid. That's a new beginning. That same child then takes the first step. It's another beginning. That child eventually graduates, and everybody gathers to pour love upon that child because they're now moving from those uh, adolescent years right on into early adulthood. Another new beginning. They move into adulthood, they decide they want to get married, they find somebody they fall in love with, they stand before a preacher or whoever, and then they say, I do, I will, and they're yoked. It's a new beginning. Marriage doesn't work out. Difficulties come. Problems occur. And then when those things happen, then it's dissolved and people have to go their separate ways. What do you have? Another new beginning. Here's somebody been married 40 years, 50 years, 5 years, 2 years, 60 years. Some people have been married so long that they can't even identify themselves as a single person anymore because their life has been submerged in the life of the other. And you've seen elderly people stand at the graveside and have to bury a spouse. And all the family is there in the home with them. But eventually, even the kids and the family members have to go back to work. So mom and dad sit there at home by themselves. What is it for them? It's a new beginning. Over and over again in life, we have to face this. But it's how we begin that is important. person starts a new job, new beginning. Lost a job, been fired, laid off. It's another beginning. All of these things are essential, and Genesis 1-1 gives us the key that I believe can help us no matter what it is that we're doing in life. And it says right here, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So there is, a, there is a beginning to everything. There was a beginning to creation. In Genesis chapter 1, one of the things that it proves is that everything reproduces after its own kind. It's impossible for it to do otherwise. But if in every beginning we have God, then just like God did in Genesis 1 and 1, we can create something that is of lasting value. But if with every new beginning we do not have God, then we do like a lot of people and we'll create things that are of no no permanent value. We'll create things that are difficult and and create one problem after another. So here it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. What does that look like in scripture? It looks like Mary being visited by an angel. An angel telling her she's going to have a child. And she's saying to the angel, I've never known a man. But he says the Spirit of God is going to come upon you, and that which is born of you is going to be a redeemer and a savior. So when she had the conversation, and then she later became pregnant, and then she finally gave birth, these are all new beginnings. And you know as well as I do, the importance of Jesus Christ to all of us That are here tonight, were it not for him, we wouldn't be here talking about him, singing about him. So if I start my life or a different season of my life with God at the beginning, then I can have the expectation that something will be created that is a blessing. So if I'm starting a new job, or I'm starting a new year on the job, I'm going to begin by thanking the Lord every day that I have this place. Father, thank you for my place of employment. Father, thank you for giving me an opportunity to be able to serve you. Father, thank you for giving me people to lead. Father, thank you for providing for me as well as for my family. What am I doing? Putting God at the beginning. This is how we start the year. We look at where we want to go. We look at the life that we've lived. Maybe we've been selfish, self-centered, but this brings us right back to the point where God should be the center and the focus of everything. And I found that wherever we don't seek first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that all these other things really are not added to us. And people who tend to make God anything other than number one, tend to put God down here at about 14 or 15. Because if God is first, he's primary in every aspect of your life. The scripture here says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. So verse 2, something needed to be reshaped something needed to be formed because there was darkness there well that's always at every beginning the bible says we go from faith to faith and glory to glory god doesn't give you the whole picture when he begins when you became a christian your life wasn't fully formed into a mature christian life you found that christ was formed in you by a seed You were born again, a new nature came forth in you, but it's the renewing of your mind that gives you the ability to mature in faith, to have discernment, to recognize what's right and what's wrong, and it's during that process of change in your life that God pushes out the darkness because the light is being flooded in your soul through the word of God. So when you say you don't like to read, and particularly you don't like to read scripture, then I have to understand if you don't like to read scripture, you don't want to renew your mind. If you don't want to renew your mind, then you don't want light to flood your life. That means you want to live in darkness. What do you find in darkness? Ambiguity? Vagueness? Remember this principle. In the dark, all colors agree. You turn the lights out in here right now, I'm telling you, pink, red, purple, and orange all look the same when it's pitch black. And when, when someone is so deceived that they don't know the difference between what's right and what's wrong, what's normal and what's abnormal, that's simply because you're dealing with somebody whose life is flooded with darkness and they've never bothered to take the word of God to push out the darkness. The scripture says the darkness was here, but the spirit of God was moving upon the face of the waters. That is God's desire in your life and in mine, to move upon you so that we can become fully formed, mature Christians grow up in God and be useful to him? Well then let me let me work on something else then. What what does this look like in the Bible? If if someone is wanting to move to another location because of an advance in pay in a job, or someone is wanting to move because of marriage or whatever it might be. What are some things that people should consider? Well number one Where are you going to go to church? That's important. That's very important. Where are you and your spouse, or you as a single individual, or you and your family, where are you going to be seated each week to hear God's word? Because what you put in you is what you're going to get out of you. Remember the principle of Genesis 1-1. Everything reproduces after its own kind you have somebody that doesn't believe in the Bible and doesn't believe in God, then that's going to be reproduced in you. You can say, I'm going to fight against it. I'm not going to believe in what that individual is saying. But hour after hour, them seeding you with unbelief, I can promise you that eventually it's going to have some kind of an effect. All you have to do to a garden, let the weeds overtake it, is just leave it alone. Say it's not important. That's all you have to do. Well, uh, the, 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 the farmers here in recent times have been fighting one of these weeds. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the name of the thing, but it's been trying to take over a bunch of fields, and I've been hearing all kinds of stuff all up and down this valley about that. But you know what? If you don't stay on top of it, it will overtake everything. And it happens in the Christian life. And we have to ask ourselves, what is of significant value? What is of most importance to us when it comes to serving God? I need to give you a story. Let's go to Genesis chapter 13. There is a gentleman whose name is Abram. This ought to be very interesting to you as I go through this. Genesis 13 verse number 2. Abram was rich in cattle and silver and gold. God has never had a problem with wealth. God has never had a problem with people having money. And God has always been happy when people have excess of resources because they are then able to put those at the disposal of the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus said, and even John the Baptist said, look, if you got two coats, give a coat to somebody else. That's that's part of the kingdom principle there. But in verse 3, it says, He went on his journeys from the south and came to Bethel, even where his tent had been at the beginning. Because Abram was a man that built altars. Verse 4, to the place of the altar. Well, verse 5, Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. So notice now, Abram is wealthy. He has a relationship with God. He's been called by God to leave the land of his nativity, leave the place of his birth, walk away from his family. He takes his nephew with him. His nephew also is wealthy. And he's got flocks and hurt. So, verse six: the land was not able to bear them. Now, I have no idea how many acres are needed for a cow for each individual cow, but I think somebody was telling me when I was out near out near Valentine because the the everything out there is so sparse. They need about five or six acres for each cow. So, you need a lot of land depending on how many how much cattle you have. So, imagine. The land was not big enough to bear them, so they didn't sell off a bunch of cattle and try to fix this thing. The herdmen of Abram and the herdmen of Lot were getting into arguments. And I don't know what the arguments were about, but as, as you could see in verse number 6, it says they couldn't dwell together, for their substance was great, so they couldn't dwell there. And it says there was strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot. So these folks were angry, there was hostility. And I don't know if Lot, Lot's men went to Lot and said, you need to talk to your uncle, or whether Abram's people went to Abram and said, you need to talk to your nephew. But, but but somebody was saying, look, we're getting beat out at every water hole. And we need to figure this out, because I don't think this is right. And Abraham, being the bigger man, he said to Lot, he said, look, it's not right that we have this fighting going on where we're blood kin. He said, I'll tell you what, what we'll do. We, we'll we can, we can go separate directions. He said, you lift up your eyes, and you look in any direction you want, and whatever you see is beautiful to you. You can take it, and I'll go in the opposite direction. So I'm going to give you first choice, but I'm going to take the leftovers. Lot said, okay, that's uh that seems fair. So Lot lifted up his eyes, and as you could... You can see in verse number 10, he looked and he saw a well-watered plain of Jordan, and uh, it was right over there going in the direction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Beautiful place. So in appearance, it was gorgeous. Things look a little bit different once he gets in, inside the city. But from the outside, oh, I'm telling you, it was like a suburb. It was like flying into the Bay City down there in central California where San Francisco is. I'm telling you, the mountains, oh, my gosh, this is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, that's where I'm going to take my my cattle, my herdsmen, and my family. And and so he pitched his tent in that direction. And then the next time we read, he's, he's sitting in the gate of Sodom and Gomorrah. He's one of the elders of the city. The gate was a place where decisions were made. It would be like sitting on the town council. Abraham, meanwhile went the opposite direction took his family and all of his goods and he kept building altars altars and he kept talking to God now the amazing thing about this is once Lot separate from Abraham we don't ever hear again about him doing anything have to do with altars or being around anything represented as holy but we do know the scripture says Lot vexed his righteous soul every day that he was in Sodom and Gomorrah so that means he knew the difference between right and wrong but he didn't have the courage and the fortitude to pull himself and his family out of it. Now always remember this. Your friends. Your family. And particularly your family. They're going to marry the bunch you let them run with. Yeah. Your peers. Are going to be. The people that you run with. And so a lot. He's got. He's got two daughters. that have never been married. He's got some other daughters. That now are married. They're married to some men of Sodom. And this thing in Sodom and Gomorrah. Was so bad out there. In the plains. That. God came to Abram and said, Abraham, I'm telling you right now, Sodom and Gomorrah, that place, it, it stinks with sin, and I'm going to judge them people because of how wicked they are. Now, Abraham, knowing that his nephew and his family is over there, you know what Abraham does? He starts making intercession. He says, God, if you can find 50 or 60 people over there, would you spare the city? That's a man still thinking about his nephew, even though they separated went in went different ways. And the Lord said, 50 or 60 people? Yeah, I'd spare the city. And Abraham kept decreasing the number. He finally got down to 10, and he said, Lord, if you can find at least 10, would you spare the city? And the Lord said, for you, Abraham, a man that commands his family to do what's right, I'd spare that city for 10 people. Now, God already knew Lot didn't have 10 people in his family that loved him. God already knew that. But God said, for you, Abraham, if I can find ten people, ten righteous souls, when I'm searching through that place, I'll spare the whole, the whole plane so that no judgment will come. And so Abraham, he was probably thinking, oh, wonderful. Saved a life. And then one day he woke up and it wasn't like that. God was displeased and God sent two angels and the angels came to where Lot was and they said, look, Lot, some uh, bad stuff is going to be happening. And, and Lot Lot said to them, well, rather than you folks stay out here, because they were looking like men, the Bible says you entertain angels without knowing it sometimes. They come looking just like you and me. Lot invited them to his house, and under the cover of darkness, the two angels came to Lot's house, and he got them in there. He's ready to feed them and have them with the family. But, but the men of the city, it says young men and old men, elderly men and youth, they came and knocked on Lot's door. They said, now, Lot, uh, <clears throat> uh, we, we noticed, and I'm sure they did this with, with, with all of the effeminacy that they had in that, in that ancient world. They, they said, now, Lot, we noticed there are two strangers that have come into this village, and it looked like they went right here into your house because that's what we heard, and we'd like you to bring them out here to us so we could kind of get to know them. <laughs> I'd like that for hospitality, you know, A mob of people on the front porch. Uh, please, Mark, send them on out here, please. That that kind of a thing, and, and Lot said, "Absolutely not! You can't do this wicked thing." And then Lot says something that's somewhat astonishing. He said, "Look, I got two girls; that haven't been with anybody. Just have them, but can't have these men." Now, of course, I know immediately what comes to your mind is, "Why would a man volunteer his daughters rather than send them angels out there?" Well, th- think about it this way: uh, wickedness. It's bad. I'm not offering any justification for it. I'm just simply saying wickedness is bad, but here's a man that had enough sense to know that if um if, if somebody got in trouble messing with a woman, that that's a whole lot better than if somebody got in trouble, there was a man messing with another man. That's the only rationale that could possibly be to help explain this man's uh, thinking behind that. And then the angels grabbed Lot, pulled him back in smoked the crowd with blindness so that they never could find the door and everything was fine. But they did say to Lot, judgment is coming, fire and brimstone is coming. If I were you, I'd get up right now, go tell your daughters and your sons-in-law, leave the city, trouble is coming. And if you know the story, you know how that's exactly what he did. He went and he went and visited. His uh, family members and them good family members said to him, uh, you, "You talk like somebody that, that's mocking us, and you, like you're in a dream or something. There's no way on this earth this stuff is going to happen." And he left. And the angel said to Lot and his wife and two daughters, "Flee to the hills! Run as fast as you can! But when you start running, make sure no one turns around and looks back. Now, here's a new beginning. Got to turn and walk away." From everything you've known for the past few years, and, and and Lot is running with his daughters, and you better believe they're moving as quick as they can, and the pitter-patter of feet is going through the desert. And after a while, they they notice there's a pair of feet they don't hear anymore, and it's because, as as Luke tells us in that wonderful verse that I love to preach of only three words, remember Lot's wife. Something in that journey as they were fleeing from the city. Caused Lot's wife to want to turn around and look back. And when she looked back, the Bible says she became a pillar of salt. I'm telling you one thing. Lot didn't look back. He didn't look back at all. I don't know if he backed up and reached out to see what was going on. But he didn't turn around and look to see what happened to her. Neither did the daughters. This woman, in the process of being saved, was lost. In the process of being saved. She did not obey God at the beginning. She's got to start all over. She doesn't want to leave everything that's behind her. And so as she's starting over, there's something in her heart that's still back there that calls her to turn around and look back there again. Now, what is it in your rearview mirror that'll cause you to look back and go back? There's a reason in your car that the windshield is so big and that rearview mirror is so small. Because your focus and your attention is supposed to be on what's up ahead rather than what is behind you. And that's why the apostle Paul said, I count not myself as somebody who is apprehended. But he said, forgetting those things that are behind me, pressing forward to those things are in front of me. And as Lot and his family are escaping, the explosions from the fire and brimstone coming down, the smoke of the fire and brimstone is ascending in the plain, and then it goes on to tell us about how Abram, was standing there and he looked and saw the smoke going up. And then I bet you he realized at that point, my intercession did not save that city. Now as of, as of now, he doesn't even know Lot made it out, unless God supernaturally told him. But Lot and his family finally escaped to a hilltop and they sit down and they're looking at everything that they loved in that carnal world. Everything that was important to them, even family, and it's all going up in flames. Now you tell me that when the the Lord said, I came not to bring peace but to bring a sword, that doesn't put it it right there. When the Lord says, uh, when somebody comes to him and says, I'll follow you wherever you want, and then Jesus says, Okay, then follow me right now. And they say, I want to follow you right now, but my mom is sick and I need to go back and look after her because I don't want somebody, you know, want her to be left alone. And Jesus said, look, uh, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. That's a hard word. Yeah, that's a hard word. When God talks to you and then you have to turn around and leave your family, if you believe God's put it on your heart, because there are many people that were justified by saying, well, that wouldn't be God's will for me to leave my family, please. Lot and his wife and his daughters left their sisters and their brother in laws and fled for the hills. And when they got to the hills, you can see what happened up there. The daughters were sitting with dad and realized dad doesn't have any boys. and Dad needs boys because boys keep the name going. And so the two daughters said, why don't we get... We'll we'll get pops inebriated, and then we'll get to know dad carnally, and then we'll be able to raise up seed. Can you imagine getting dad drunk? They did it. One gave birth to Amnon, the other gave birth to uh, Moab, and that's why the scripture said until this day... The, in in scripture, the, the Israelites and the Ammonites and the Moabites were not supposed to have relations because of how it happened. It was so unclean, defiling. Now I told you that whole story to get to this point right here. I've been telling you that with every beginning, if you have God, you'll create something that's a blessing. But you look at all of Lot's beginnings after he separated from Abram. Day he decided to go a different direction with his herdsmen. It's a new beginning. He separated over cattle, strife between his herdsmen and and uh, Abraham's herdsmen. But the next time we see Lot, he's sitting in the gate of the city, and it doesn't even say anything about him owning a cow. And the people he once employed, we don't hear anything about them again. Sometimes the things in life that you separate over and fight over and split over, after a few years you don't even have the very things that led to the disagreement. This man did not start off as he could have when he separated from Abram. And then pretty soon he's got his family in the middle of all of that. And and, and it had to be a very heartbreaking thing to see that stuff going on in the city, in the streets of the city. And the Bible says he vexed his soul. That means he grieved himself every day the same way you and I live right here in this world and we flip on the television and we see things that are displeasing and you know what it does? It it causes you to just want to change the channel. Sometimes it causes you to just just frown. How in the world can people do this? Why is this kind of stuff permissible and promoted and popularized and now approved? Well, Lot sat there voluntarily. He didn't have to do it. And it's the same with you. You don't have to watch certain stuff on television. You don't have to listen to certain stuff on the radio. You can get up and walk out of certain places. You can't do anything about what goes on on some of your jobs and and things like that. But there are things you do have control over. Lot didn't have to sit there with his family because he chose to stay there. Look what he gave birth to. Look what he created because of his new beginning. He created marriages between two daughters and his two sons-in-laws, or however many they were, and they died. In the end, he was having a new beginning, fleeing from the city, and what happened? Lost his wife. End up on a hill and involved in incest with two daughters. Giving birth to two children that were not only his sons, but also his grandsons. Folks, don't tell me that a bad beginning won't produce nothing but problems. If we have God, it works out well. Now I could go a little bit further into this, and maybe I'll reserve some of this for for another night. But but it, but it is it can be done, and it work out the right way. Read the story of Ruth. His woman had a new beginning. God provided for her every need. So think about that, and always remember when it comes time for you to do something different. As I've told many families that have gone. Uh, from from Red Cloud Church, from here and other places, uh, through the years, I've said to them, "Where are you going to go to church once you leave?" "Oh, well, you can find a church anywhere." "Well, can you? Can you?" I said. I "Always remember now, a, a good church and a good pastor and a good, good good people to worship with is is much more much more important to you than simply in advance in pay." i am seen a lot of marriages fall apart because they weren't in a place where the Word of God. Was talked to them. And I've seen teenagers and kids fall away because they weren't in a place where they could hear from God. So you young people, one day you're going to have a new beginning. You're going to have to leave that house, go to college, start a job, one day get married. Make sure you've got a place to hear the word of God. That's important. Hold on to that testimony. Walk with God. Let's stand. New Beginnings came to Hebron many, many years ago, never knew what a new beginning here would look like. In the beginning, it looked kind of shaky. You say, what did it look like? It looked like Larry Perry. <laughs> looked like Larry Perry. It was, it was kind of shaky in the beginning there. looked like Larry Perry. And then, then after a while, then it looked like Steve Wilkie. Yeah. Then after a while, it looked like a few more other people. But through the years... Run into people that have come through the church to the Tuesday night Bible study, through the Sunday night stuff like that, and and uh, I, I still remember, I still remember old Kenny Hobelman saying to me after he'd been listening to me preach about maybe five or six months, he was sitting back there, and one one night after the service, gave me one of the greatest compliments I ever heard. He said, "You know, Pastor Dear, I've been sitting there listening to you preach." He said, "I, I don't know if," uh, he said, "I I don't know if I believe everything you're saying." But he said, I sure do know you believe it. I said, you're right. I said, I don't preach anything that I'm not convicted by. I sure do believe it myself. All of us in here tonight are a product of decisions we've made. We've made. Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you because... When we think about what 2018 is going to be, Lord, we know we've been sowing seeds for this year since 2015, 16, and 17. But, God, we do know that Isaac sold and he received from his field, as the Bible says, a 1,000-fold blessing. So God, let 2018 be a great year. Let it be a year that brings peace, joy, happiness to all of us. Put a hedge of protection around us and preserve us from the schemes of the adversary that may be in play to try to destroy our marriages, our homes, our individual lives, and our health. Father, I pray that you'd help us to help you build your church here in this nation. We love you and we honor you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen, 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 amen.